Absolutely beautiful. California is home of some of the most beautiful national parks. And you can kind of see how people from California get a little confused and think they're better than us East Coasters. I mean, let's, let's give them a break. We can understand that the incredible national park systems that they have in that state are absolutely beautiful. And we've been talking about going on the road trip and experiencing uh, God's love in, in the journey of faith that we have. And, and the reason why we've been using them, and I really kind of feel how God talks to me through nature sometimes, that our faith is a road trip. And it finds itself in different environments. It finds itself in, in different what we've called topographies. And that's kind of a geological designation on, on how land is shaped in different ways. But if you begin to look at the national parks, you've got one topography in Yosemite, and then you've got a different kind of topography up in Arcadia, in Bar Harbor. Then you've got a whole different kind of topography taking place in um, some of the other locations throughout the, the country. And um, it's amazing. It's the shape and the, and the movement of it. And we've shown different forests and different deserts that make up this park system and how it's shaped differently. And you're sitting here today, and your life is shaped differently. And it may be shaped differently than the person sitting next to you. And your faith journey may look a little bit different than the person next to you. How Christ is working in your life. And one of the reasons why I think God is talking to us about this is because, you know, your faith journey has topography. And therefore, it's going to take on different shapes. And that's why we're going into this series. Is because he wants you to help you know that your journey, though it's different, is valuable to God. It's part of the park system. Just because it's a little different. I don't know if you've ever been to that place where you start comparing yourself to other Christians, other churches, other people who've walked with God, and you're kind of like, well, you know, I just don't seem to like to pray as much as they do. And I just have a hard time reading my Bible as, you know, passionately as they seem to do. Or, but again, I like serving a little bit more passionately, or I'm good at this. And we will sometimes look around that the, that the park is supposed to be one thing, one look, one Christianity, and the Bible Belt is notorious for one big buckle and then wrapping around with one kind of stereotype of what faith looks like in a Christ follower's life. And God wants us to realize that we're part of the park system of grace, but each life is different. The topography of my life has divorce in it, has addiction in it, has recovery built into it. But it also has family built into it and success built into it and, and moments of hardship and sickness and illness. And all of us have different shapes. And God wants you to know that if your topography is different than the person sitting next to you, that if you're in grace with him, then you're part of the beautiful park system and that your journey is beloved by God. I think he also wants us to realize that our faith has transitions. It has different fra uh, phases. Sometimes it gets stuck. I mean, have you ever gone through those times with God where, you know, you had doubt was part of your park system? Where bitterness, envy, jealousy, all those things, they're found in the park system and part of the journey. And I think the third thing he wants us to learn is to stop judging one another's faith journey. You know, I'm notorious and pastors are notorious to coming up to that one thing if you're a real member of this church. If you are a real Christian, then you'll do these three things. And if you don't do these three things and attend these meetings and go to church this often, then I really question whether or not you have a faith journey. 
Well, if you're a Christian, Paul, you shouldn't be struggling with, you know, alcohol or porn or homosexuality or whatever it is. And we say, no, there's no room in our context of, of the park system of grace for somebody to struggle with things. And God wants you to know, stop judging each other. What Christ is doing in their lives is a beautiful thing. And their journey may look different than you, but it's valuable to God. You know, one of the things that's most beautiful about the takeaway from a national park is its beauty. I mean, they're gorgeous. I think that's how they got picked, is that there's something beautiful about all the parks, and you can see it. Um, but beauty is an interesting thing. It, it really is something I sit down and think about, is what words mean and concepts. It's not because I smoked too much weed in the 70s, but it's just that something about the word beauty. And if you ever thought about the word beauty and what it is, because beauty really isn't an item in any of the national parks. It really isn't. It's not like you all of a sudden look and say, oh, there's beauty climbing up the tree. And oh, look at the beauty falling down from those rocks cascading into the pond below. Beauty isn't one particular thing. And in the national parks, there are trees, there's flowers, there's rocks, there's sand, there's wildlife, there's water, there's mountains. And there's a lot of items that are in the park. But it's interesting, beauty is not one of them. And that's because beauty is what we call an emergent property. This may be a new phrase, but I think you've already known what this phrase means, but it's an emergent property. Let me give you an example of the brain. Human consciousness is often called an emergent property of the brain. There's no single neuron that holds the complex information of self-awareness. It's not like if we chopped off the side of your, top of your head and we looked in there that we would see one particular neuron that self-awareness is in that particular neuron. There's not one particular neuron that holds fear in it or joy in it. There's nothing that, not one particular element inside your brain that makes the self-awareness of who you are as an individual and the joy and the hate and the fear that you experience. So an emergent property is the result of the complex interactions among individual parts that give rise to a new quality that only belongs when all the parts are working together. That's when it looks beautiful. Uh, just a side note, that's what Paul says about the church. When all parts are working together, it looks its best. But when the brain, all the parts are working together, consciousness emerges and as a result of the neurons in our spirits. It's the same thing that's taking place in Yellowstone. You got critters, you got trees, you got plants, you got water. In Yosemite, it's the same thing. In Death Valley, it's the same thing. There's no one element called beauty. You begin to see the emergent property, and as you're, as you're riding through on your mountain bike or, or hiking through the forest, you have these moments where you come out to a, to a ravine or to an edge or a cliff, and all of a sudden, you experience emergent beauty, all the things working together at that particular moment. And faith is that way. We tend to, in the Bible Belt, we tend to pick one or two things that make up faith. Reading your Bible, the creed, your belief system, what's your stand on homosexuality. We tend to, to take elements and say those are the things that make up a beautiful faith journey. But really it's 
so many things that are working together that make this faith journey with God beautiful. When I think about a beautiful faith journey, and I had to look in the scriptures to find somebody that kind of represented this, I was, I, I was thinking about a guy named Joseph, and I'm not talking about Mary and Joseph, that Joe. I'm talking about this, this is an older Joe back from the Old Testament about the time of the Pharaohs. And it's not one thing that I can put on Joseph and say, yeah, that was, that's why this guy's life had this emergent beauty in his faith, that when all the things were together, there was this one thing. But, it was, but rather, it was a combination. How he handled hardship, how he dealt with loneliness, how he dealt with his dreams, how he dealt with evil being done to him, how he dealt with forgiveness, how he trusted God in dark moments. He was alive at the time of the pharaohs, and he was the son of Jacob, who was the guy that produced the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a, a quick way to look at it. And one of the things that we learn about Joseph is this, and it's a really important part of the story in Genesis 37.3. It says, now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. One of the ways that this father wanted to communicate value to Joseph is that he gave him this coat of many colors. He, he wanted an emergent property on Joseph's life. He wanted, when you looked at Joseph, he wanted you to see beauty. And I think this is where our faith journey with God starts for every single one of us. The intentions of God towards us are kind. They're graceful. They're compassionate. They're loving. And through Christ, he puts this code of forgiveness on us, this code of value. He begins to speak beauty into our lives. He, he sees us as we can be, as he sees us. And he begins to put this, this code on us. And as we walk in relationship with him, we experience the beauty beginning to emerge out of our lives. But everything in Joseph's life, and it's going to be just the same as yours, Everything in Joseph's life from this point on is going to try to rob him and strip him of the grace and the beauty of his life. And you might be walking through a moment right now. And so God, this is for you. God wants to talk to you today about the things that will try to rob you of the multicolored grace that he's put on your life. Because things will. You know, if you've ever been through a divorce, you know it can strip you of your colors. It can try to reduce your life to a, a grayscale or a black and white type of life. So we're going to see everything in Joseph's life is beginning to try to strip him of his colors. I love the dialogue. As a result of his brothers being jealous of his multicolors and, and that sense of uniqueness and beauty that Joseph's life has. And can I just tell you, not everybody's going to celebrate you finding out who you are supposed to be in Christ. So if you're waiting for everybody to get excited about it, matter of fact, you're going to stir up some ad adversity when you show up at work and say you are chosen of God, called of God. You know, somebody's going to S-O-U someplace along the line because they're not going to like what God's doing in your life. And I love the dialogue of his brothers because this is the dialogue of adversity. This is how adversity tries to taunt you. So just think of this as your adversity speaking. Genesis 37, 8. And his brother said to Joseph, and this is what your divorce says to you. You're not really going to reign over us. You're not really going to recover from that addiction. 
You're never, ever going to be in control of your life. Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So immediately adversity begins to try to speak into your life and to, and to tell you, you'll never be anything. Your dreams will never happen. You'll never amount to anything. You know, and if you've gone through adversity, which I know everybody has here, and it's like, well, I can't believe you as a pastor admitted that you went through a divorce over 30 years ago. It's like, well, adversity is a part of the journey. And if you're hiding your adversities, you have just landed in a place of grace where you can be human and covered with the grace of God. And so all of us know the difficulty and what they speak to you. You know, what your father said about you, how you maybe failed at work or how you failed in your faith or, or maybe you did something wrong. And, and when you begin to hear God speak into your life, how it says to you, oh, you'll never get up from this. You'll never control this in your life. You'll never amount to anything. And that's the verse, voice of adversity. And that was the voice that his brothers spoke to him. And the dialogue tells us, so they stripped him of his colored cloak. Got to get the cloak. It's not enough just to get Joseph, is it? Got to get the cloak. Got to get that off of him. And they stained it with the blood of an animal. You know, God has beautiful intentions for your life. But things are going to try to strip that grace off of you. Things are going to try to strip that Self, that awareness of God being involved in your life. Don't be shocked by it. And that's what God wants you to know. If you're wrestling with that right now, Joseph's in that place where the thing that identified him for his brothers was stripped from him. That distinction was being removed. And everything in life will try to remove your distinction. You're created in the image of God, that you're a, you a child of the living God, that you're more than conquered through Christ who who strengthens you. No, you'll never be more than a conqueror. You'll never rule in life. You'll never be in control. You'll never amount to anything. So Joseph finds himself being stripped. But Joseph journeys with God in faith. He's brought into Egypt and he's sold into the slavery of a, an Egyptian soldier. But he walks with God. And because of it, God begins to bring favor into Joseph's life. What is, what is that? That's the emerging qualities. That's that compassion and that beauty beginning to flow out of his lives. And people begin to notice it. We're told in Genesis 39 too, and the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man while he was in the house of the Egyptian master. The master saw it. People can see what is emerging from your life. They know what your emergent property is. If your emergent property is to make a buck, don't, don't fool yourself. Everybody knows it. If uh, your emergent property is to make a name for yourself, don't worry. Everybody knows what you're doing. You know, Jesus said it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, we, we have the emergent property of the soul of the person. It emerges out of us. Out of a good tree comes good fruit. Out of a bad tree, bad fruit. Everything becomes an emergent property in the realm of time and space. So, you know, what is emerging out of you? What is the emergent property? I dare you to ask your wife. I dare you to ask your children. I dare you to ask your coworkers. But finding out the answer about what's coming out of your life is one of the most powerful tools you'll ever hear. Because you need to know what is emerging out of it. And in Joseph's life, in the middle of this, this betrayal by his brothers, 
then stripped of his father's identity. Okay, so he's had the identity removed and the betrayal by those whom he's supposed to be beloved by. He finds this ability to allow his faith to begin this emergent property of beauty. So, well, that's hard. Well, victimization by his family is not the only thing he experiences. Things get worse. He's doing a great job in the house, and he's, uh, but the, his master has a wife who uh, has got a hankering. That's a southern way of you know, saying a lot of things. But she's got a hankering for Joseph because he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty much a stud. He's, he's a good-looking fellow, but he's not willing to compromise. And he's told the woman, I will not send this sin against God or against my master or even against myself and you. He's like, I'm not going to let that emerge out of my life. And so he, he, he draws a line. As a result of it, she lies to his master and says that he's tried to force himself upon her and, and he's thrown into prison. Again, the dream is challenged. Again, the coat, the beauty, is being, trying to be removed. So where would you be at this particular point? I don't know, as Americans, we don't have a lot of tolerance for God not performing really fast and well for us. We have all kinds of things that Christians shouldn't experience. Well, if you tithe, your washing machine won't break. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard on the planet. Um, if you, if, if, you know, we have this thing, if you have faith, you won't get sick. I wish it was true. But no, no even if it was true, I don't have that kind of faith. I mean, I just, I'm a weak man. I, I, I have my highs and lows. My topography is not, it's not impressive, except for the fact that I know that a coat has been put on me and I'm beloved of my father. So remember, everything is going to try to strip this thing off of you. And you might be in a place right now, losing money is not your worst situation. Losing your spouse is not the worst situation. Losing, losing your reputation is not even the worst thing that's happening to you. Losing the identity of Christ in your life, that's what's up for grabs. And this thing doesn't stop until it tries to remove your identity in Christ. But while Joseph is now in prison with God, the emerging quality of beauty, the things that he, he follows after God with, trusting in God, walking with God in adversity, believing in, in the promises of God, begin to kind of coagulate and begin like an old faithful. They begin to, you know, uh, push up this emerging quality of beauty. And then while he was there, we're told in Genesis 39 in prison, and the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. And the keeper paid attention to nothing that Joseph was doing because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Like it, it doesn't say that the prison guard ever believes in God. But you know what? When your emergent property is this beauty, is this thing of trusting in God and walking with God, and then the combination of that produces the success of God in your life, even the worst of pagans or the greatest of atheists may not believe in your faith, but they will see the quality of your belief in that faith, and it may produce an undeniable beauty about it. It's like, yeah, yeah I don't believe in God. I believe in whatever, this. I don't think... And I, no, I don't think, I know this for sure because I'm very much in tune with this. There is nothing in science that is producing atheists. 
There is no new discovery that is forcing people off the edge into atheism. What is forcing people into atheism is is people of faith who don't have the emergent property of beauty. You know, we're giving them, hear what we're giving them? Our one piece, where we stand on homosexuality. People will come into this church and they'll say, Pastor Paul, I really like your church. Uh, Can I see your financial giving records? Oh, that's the one thing that will, that's the most beautiful thing about this church is the spreadsheet. Uh, Pastor Paul, what's your stand on gay marriage? Oh, really? That's the only emergent property that a church can have that would make a church beautiful to you. Do you see how silly that is? Now, integrity to the word of God are part of the elements that come together. But the emergent property of beauty is when we fall in love with Christ and it begins to work out in our lives. And people see that. I remember when we flooded the, the second time, we decided that we wouldn't take money. Or well, we would take money. You always take money. I, we decided it's what you do with it. It's the big deal. Taking it's not a problem. But we decided we called it our one, uh, not one cent campaign. Every bit of money that came from any other church or anybody that was helping us, uh, we found an orphanage in Haiti that had flooded in the same hurricane. So not one cent of that money landed here, and we gave it immediately. This gentleman heard about that on Channel 5 News, and he drove into the park lot. He came into the thing. He was in the building, and, and we were scraping and cleaning up and all this other stuff. And he says, listen, i got to be honest with you. I don't believe in God, and I'm not a religious person. He said, but when I heard you were giving all the money away that you were to an orphanage in in Haiti, he said, here's $100. And he handed me $100. And I was like, what is that? What did he respond to? My apologetics? My systematic theology? My stand on on, on, on smoking weed? I I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that one Sunday. (laughs) We'll probably pack the place out. No, it was the beauty of Christ in this church that emerged, the combination of all the elements together that did it. And that's what happened in Joseph's life. So he's in prison, and there are are a couple guys that have been arrested, the former cupbearer of the king and the former baker of the king, apparently bad souffle, bad wine, something got them thrown into prison. And they both have these incredible visions that were pretty much sent to them by God, and and they don't know what they mean. So Joseph's there, and he's emerging this beauty of God in his life, even in prison. And so he interprets the dreams for the two men correctly and tells the, the one guy, the, the cupbearer, you're going to be restored, and tells the baker, you're going to be killed. And, and it plays out just like that. The cupbearer is brought uh, up to Pharaoh and is restored, and the baker um, was hung. But the thing is, is he thought, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. He allowed God to move in his life. So he grabs a hold of the cupbearer and he says, hey, dude, okay, we've been good, right? we've We've been brothers this whole time of adversity. When you get up near Pharaoh, will you please remember me? Will you please remember me? And he's probably like, man, God's doing a great thing in my life. I hate doing preacher voices, but I, I can't avoid it. Um, but he's, he's doing a great thing in my life, and this is my time getting out. So he probably goes back into his cell. He packs his bag. He's got his carry-ons, and he's ready to take the flight out of prison. 
And the day goes by and the cupbearer is up there pouring wine for the Pharaoh and he's just, any moment now, another day goes by, uh, nothing but third day goes by. Then a week goes by and, and then he realizes he's got to unzip his bag because he needs to change some of his clothes and he's got to repack them. And he's like, but surely it's going to happen in a month. Surely God will not forget me and leave me here in this adversity for more than a month. Then a month goes by and then another month goes by and then a year goes by and then two years go by and Joseph is still there. You know, it's right about that time that you wonder if, uh, have I been forgotten? Have you ever had that feeling that you've been forgotten by God? I mean, because we have that feeling about God as well. And there's Joseph, he's in that place. Would that be the point where you let your faith go? Would that be the place where, you, you know, I just, I just can't go there. I, with the flood, we, as you know, we flooded three times in three years and we almost flooded two days ago. Came up with a foot and a half. Okay, now we've tried everything. You know, some of you thought we should dig a moat around. Some of you thought that we should shoot the water up in the air as it was coming into the building and then keep the building dry that way. Some of you might have thought we could sell the building. Nobody wanted to buy it. We looked at the possibility of raising the interior of it and, you know, that really wasn't coming to pass. We looked at a lot of things and every time we did something, I would, I would all of a sudden get an engineer and I'd be like, okay, this engineer can, can solve this problem. And I'd be all great, okay, pack your bags, we're gonna, we're gonna fix this problem. All of a sudden, no. Somebody talked about possibly buying the building. And it's like, oh man, we're all excited to staff and then all of a sudden, they're not buying the building. Then we got ourselves an incredible lawyer and, and, and we'll sue them. That's what we'll do, we'll do that. And we got an incredible lawyer, and it's like, she's amazing, she's awesome. And yeah, that's not going to work either. It's like, well, what are you going to do, Paul? We're just going to hope and trust in God. We're going to keep our beauty. Because you can take the drywall, and you can take the building, but that's not where our beauty is. Our beauty is this faith and the confidence of God that he who began a good work in us and in you will be faithful to complete it. And guess what? That doesn't need a building, at least a dry one. And so in the middle of that moment, I think we as a church have kind of grown. And people have come to us, we've actually grown as a church. Why? Because people need to know how to feel beautiful in adversity. And some of you are on your third marriage. You have landed at the right church because we believe you can experience beauty in your third marriage. Some of you have gotten out of prison or are struggling with addiction. Well, let me just tell you, we believe that you have not been forgotten by God and you have come to the right place. So let me just let you know that, that there are times in part of the faith journey where you feel forgotten. And if you're there right now, God wants to tell you you're not. You may have worked all your plans and they didn't work out and you find yourself in the same place. God knows exactly where you are. And Joseph, probably after, after his frustrations and throwing the furniture around in his cell and yelling at the heavens, said, you know what, I'm just gonna trust God. But one day Pharaoh has a, has a vision and nobody can interpret the vision, so the cupbearer says to Pharaoh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's a guy named Joe in prison that when I had a vision, he told me what was gonna happen to me and it happened. I forgot all about him. And so Pharaoh brings Joseph into his presence. 
Joseph is given the interpretation by God, and, and, and then um, Pharaoh responds by elevating Joseph's life. The information that Joseph gave Pharaoh saves the whole land of Egypt from starvation. But I want you to hear what Pharaoh says about Joseph, who he's just made the prime minister over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. I want you to hear it, and I don't want you to just hear it like as a governmental structure. I want you to hear it as the observation of beauty. You know, you would describe a flower one way in the language of beauty, but I want you to hear how Pharaoh, uh, not a follower of Jehovah, not a follower of the God of Jacob, but I want you to hear how he describes Joseph's life. Genesis 41, and, Sarah, uh, and, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? It's like, wow, have you guys watched this guy? There's something coming out of him. I mean, can we find a guy like this? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Man, wouldn't you like your kids to say that about you? They can, even in your mistakes, even when after you usher your apologies. Matter of fact, the wisest thing you'll ever do is issue an apology. And he continues and he says to Joseph, you shall be over my house and over my people and they shall follow the, the commands that you give. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over the, all the land of Egypt. And I love this because it's almost like reverse of what his brothers did to him. But this is all after adversity. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it in Joseph's hand and then clothed him in the garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot and they called out before him, bow to the knee. His brothers said, I don't know what kind of robe a shepherd can produce with multicolors. I'm guessing it was probably a primitive Hebrew work. They strip him of this primitive thing and by the time they encounter him again, he's now clothed in an, in an arraignment of beauty that they have never seen before. And what is in between this is the emergence of beauty in Joseph's life during adversity. But I love the last part. Because it says this, thus Pharaoh set him over the land of Egypt and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephnath Panay. It's really tough. I protect, I have worked all week on trying to. Zephnath Panea. Zephnath Panea. What a cool name. Wouldn't you like all of a sudden, you know, we like nicknames like Bosco and Kramer and Cosmo and, you know, it's cool to get a really cool name. But you know what's interesting about this is this is what an unbeliever pagan said about Joseph because he observed his emergent properties. So what would they call you? What would they call me? Would they be right? So what does this name Zaphnath Panea mean? It means the man through whom mysteries are revealed. What is another word that would describe that? Emergence. This is a man 
through whom the emergent properties of God's plan were seen by everyone. I'm going to put this idea out to you. Joseph never really lost his cloak. He lost his garment, but he never lost his color. Because he wasn't relying on his garment to define his quality. He never lost it. As a result of it, his brothers come and to Egypt to receive aid in the time of famine. And they find the one whom they had stripped of color and array in the glory of Egypt by the will of God. When he reveals himself to them, they're, they're like all of a sudden afraid. And wouldn't you be if you had done your brother this wrong? They can't recognize him because of the splendor of Egypt on him. So what does Joseph do? What would emerge out of you in a moment like this? You know, you got him right where you want. You've daydreamed of this moment. What would I do if I could get in charge, if I could get those guys again? What can I do? And Joseph decides that the emergent property of beauty will come out of his life. Listen to the dialogue. They're falling in front of Joseph. They're all there. They're all scared out of their wits. And they fell down before him in Genesis 50. And, and, and they say to him, behold, we are your servants. We believe we have been stripped of our brotherhood of you. See, they think they've been stripped of being brothers. They're like, you don't even have, we, we've been stripped of that. We stripped you of the father's cloak. We have been stripped of brotherhood. We are your slaves. We are slave to whatever thought you have next. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For I, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me. And you might be in an evil place right now. You might be in an evil place that adversity's brought you to or you've brought yourself to. And that could be all the, the ends of the story. If you want to handle it on your own, if you want to pull it off yourself, that could be the end of the story that you experienced evil, you went through a divorce, you went through a hardship, you, went, you experienced betrayal, or, you know, and that could be the end of your story. But not if you're walking in faith and have this emergent property. He says, you meant that evil forgives me. Yeah, you guys were rotten to me. But God meant it for good. Not meaning that God caused it, but, but the idea that through the thread of every adversity, there can be the color of grace and compassion and love from God. If you're willing to find it. If you're allowing it to merge, emerge out of your life said, God meant it for good to bring it about for many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I can't imagine a more beautiful verse in the Bible. The beauty of that moment. See, a person who allows the emerging quality of faith and all the elements of God, trusting God and persevering God, they can change their family. Your dad may have been a wacko and you buried him. And we'll trust him to the grace of God. But now the fa your family is in your hands. Now it's your time to be dad. Now it's your time to be mom. Now it's your time to be an individual in this society. 
Now it's time for you as a single person to define our culture. And what are you going to do with it? What's going to emerge out of your life? Like I said, I don't think Joseph ever lost his true cloak. His heavenly father made promises to him and he walked in them and he believed him. And they bled out in moments and people could see it out of his life. Beauty emerged from the combined parts of perseverance, trust, forgiveness, empowerment, and all the darkness that happened to Joseph. All those things were work. Joseph walked in together with God, and they began to produce this incredible beauty. So as we move into this moment of expressions where we have communion, or maybe you go for prayer, or maybe it's a moment where you have a conversation with God and pin it to the cross. But this is a moment where maybe you're in the part of the journey where you feel forgotten. You're out there all by yourself. You're in a marriage you don't think is going anywhere. You're in a career. You may be dealing with an illness and you think there's no hope for you. And today God wants to restore to you beauty in your life. Maybe you're in the part of the journey where you're living in, you've been betrayed, or you're the betrayer. I love it. God, God works in the culprit as well as in the victim. Don't allow the bitterness of betrayal to rule your life any longer. Maybe you're in the part where your dream has been stripped of you. And if I had just toss this out, if you're over 50, your life is not over. I know you've been told that in 15 years you're going to get out of the way for some younger man or younger woman to take over the world around you. Or maybe you've made your mistakes and you're on your third marriage. Your kids all hate you. Let me tell you, don't give up on the dream. Because if you allow yourself to be cloaked with the compassion and the grace of God, it will feed your family. It will change their lives. Don't give up on it. Stand tall, trust God, forgive often, and ask for the power of God. That's it right there. God's promise is this. Paul said it his way in Philippians 1.6. For I am sure of this. And I wish we could have a scene with the, the two boats that sank while he was on them. I am sure of this. As we see him lowered out of a basket because they were going to kill him. I am sure of this, as the rocks hit his body and they leave him for death. I, I am sure of this, as they lead him to Nero, uh, to Nero to have his head chopped off. But he says, I am sure of this, that no matter where my body finds itself, the location of my life, that he who began a good, beautiful work in my life will not give up on it. So don't give up on it yourself. What God wants to do in you is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He said, I'm confident he will do that work to the completion of the day of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, what is your emergent property? Is it hopelessness? End it now. If it's anger and unforgiveness, end it now. Begin to walk and trust God. Stand tall. Forgive often. Follow the promises of God for your life. Father, as we enter into this moment, some of us feel, we feel the gray scale of life. 
we've been reduced to black and white. And today you wanna, want us to see the coat that is really ours, and that is the coat of grace, compassion, mercy, justice, truth, self-control. All the beautiful things that emerge out of God, you want to emerge out of us. And today, you want everyone here to know, I have not forgotten you. Don't give up. If you've done everything to stand, stand. But don't just stand, stand with beauty, with love and compassion and truth. So Father, as a man who empties as quick as I fill, fill us again with your power. Fill us again with your love. Remind us once again, through the bread and the cup, that you have a good plan for our lives. Let me invite you to the table of Christ.